Welcome to the Development Podcast, a podcast jam-packed with fantastic advice on professional development from interviews with renowned authors, speakers, industry professionals, and influencers. I'm your host, Marty Manasalvas. Thanks again for tuning in. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining in. Uh, Today, I'm excited to have Luke Kepfer share about serving leadership. Why is it important? What type of value does it bring to an organization and how does it really look like? Uh, Serving leadership is about casting vision and serving and empowering your people to fulfill the mission and values of your company. But the problem is when we think of service and putting others before us, you know, that's not always easy and it really does take a lot of humility to do so. Uh, So Luke has held several roles in leadership working cross-culturally and has now focused his career on helping nonprofit and business leaders globally use their gifts to better serve and lead others with humility. So Luke, thank you again so much. I'm excited to hear your thoughts around this topic. Uh, How are you doing? Hey, it's good to be on the show today with you, Martin. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. So can you start us off by sharing a bit about your previous experience and uh, and leadership and some of the things uh, that you've been involved with? Sure. I uh, actually grew up in uh, southern Ontario, Canada. I was a a missionary kid. My dad was both a pastor and a missionary and a business owner. Uh, He pastored a very small church. But when I was like four years old, moved to El Salvador. And of course, that made an indelible impression on my life. And then after moving back at age seven, uh, dad joined three different mission boards. Uh, Probably the the primary one that had the most impact on my life was Voice of the Martyrs, which works with uh, the persecuted church around the world. And uh, just had a lot of people coming in and out of our home. So that had a lot of impact on my life. Um, I eventually I turned out to be a school teacher at age 19 in Western Canada. And uh, then I met my wife. We got married. She was from Indiana. That brought me to the U. And uh, actually setting us up, how we met, really, how we started dating was we were on a short-term mission trip to China. To, and that really set me on, on a trajectory for really where I never thought I would go. But ended up living in Asia for 10 years. And uh, after we moved back in 2008... I became a perspectives trainer and teacher, Uh, worked with a company called Lead Like Jesus, which does a lot of serving leadership training, and uh, did a master's in uh, Christian leadership at Asbury Theological Seminary. And now I work as an independent trainer, a consultant, basically in the nonprofit and the business worlds. And I've got three websites. Uh, Probably the most important one is just my name.com. So it's LukeKipfer.com. That would be my business uh, website, uh, LukeKipfer.com. Kipfer is spelled K-U as an umbrella, E as an elephant, P as in Paul, F as in Frank, E-R.com. So LukeKipfer.com. And then ReverbNetwork.org and TheTruthMadeSimple.org. And I'll probably mention those again at the end. But basically, I do a lot of uh, consulting and speaking in the nonprofit and business worlds today. That's fantastic. Thank you for sharing. And what's like inspired your view and concept of serving leadership throughout the years? And how have you know you've been able to apply and share that with others? So I was uh, the founder of a of an organization based in Thailand, Global Tribes Outreach. And uh, the first uh, time our our staff, we you know my wife and I had been living there for about five months, and we had some new 
staff join us. I'm the new director. I'm, you know, sharpening my uh, teeth on this thing called leadership. And I remember the, 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 the new staff, they were my friends. There were people I knew from a short-term team before. And yet you could have cut the air in the room with a knife. You know, the tension was so thick because I had a wonderful plan for their lives, you know, and uh, really didn't have a serving leadership paradigm. I was in charge. This is what we're going to do. I believe in you. Go get them. But it wasn't really an empowering serving leadership mindset. And basically a mentor of mine, Dr. Jim Shockey from the Southern Baptist, took me under his wing. We began to meet for breakfast. He began to teach me about leadership and invited me actually to an event on serving leadership, lead like Jesus was the name of the event. And uh, him and his wife, uh, along with a number of other people, took us through this process of understanding serving leadership. And I began to teach that to our staff, but more importantly, I began to model it. And, you know, within a year, one of our staff guys came up to me and said, man, Luke, your leadership has changed. He said, you now listen to us. So <laughs> that was uh, that was an interesting uh, concept. Now, I do have point out my family did not catch on for another 10-15 years which if your audience is listening carefully they should be laughing by now that doesn't mean they didn't catch on it means that uh you can fool some of the people some of the time you can't fool them all the time but uh you know be becoming a serving leader at home you know that that takes a lot that took a lot longer for me than than just you know being a serving leader with our staff and and i think you know the real issue is you can you can serve, um, but to really become a serving leader at the heart level, that takes a long time to develop. And uh, like I said, it took my family 10, 15 years to catch on. Um, it's only been in the last number of years that they called me a serving dad. But that's because the genuineness of, of you know, a transformed heart in terms of, of both humility, in terms of, of leading out of wanting what's best for others, in terms of learning how to listen, um, that took some time. Right, and I bet because you know one of the biggest challenges in leadership is falling into the habit of just being you know a self-serving leader, right? And you know it's easy to fall into the habit of wanting the attention and and doing things for the benefit of ourselves. Um, but you, you know this to be both you know destructive and it can really be just inefficient. Um, but serving leadership is different because it's all about finding ways to serve people with humility. So, you know, what helps you shift your focus from yourself to others? Yeah. How do we shift to others? That's a that's a great question. Um, you know, I think when you realize your mission is bigger than you, I, I think that's a, a great starting point. We need to realize that that it's not about us primarily. You know, we're called to make the world a better place, that that our leadership is about something bigger than us. It's a stewardship. You know, we're here for a period of time. And within this time frame, we have the opportunity to make the world a better place, to change uh, lives, to introduce, you know, new concepts, ideas, uh, processes that will make the world a better place. Leadership is bigger than us. And uh, when you realize that, I think, you know, real success begins to happen because you raise up successors. But when leadership is about you, you're not concerned about raising up successors, right? But true success is really what happens after I'm gone? What happens when I'm not in the room? Um, you know, that really is, is, is a gauge on, on how successful I am in my leadership. And so if it's not about others. If it's about me, you know, leadership is very small. It's a small-minded leader who's only doing things for themselves. And I, I think along with that, I would just say that that uh, it, it comes with a generosity or a, a scarcity mindset. If you've got a scarcity mindset, there's 
only so much pie to go around. Um, you're going to be very focused on yourself. What do I get out of it? But when you have a generosity mindset, there's plenty of pie to go around. There's there's lots to be done. There's plenty for everybody. You know, that changes everything. I'll close, uh, you know, the, my answer to this question yet with a quote from Zig Ziglar. He said, you will get all you want in life if you help enough other people get what they want. And he wasn't saying, you know, you do things with selfish motivations. He was just basically saying, if you've got a generosity mindset, if your focus is on others, on helping others, it's going to come back to you. It's going to influence and change your world. Your world's going to be much better. You're going to have actually more influence when you don't focus on yourself. One of the things that you mention a lot in, in, in your talks are just asking the question, are you a leader worth following? Um, and so I'm curious, in your eyes, what are the attributes of a serving leader? Yeah, I, I think I would start out by just saying that your position and title will only take you so far. So it's not about position and title uh, primarily. It's about relational leadership versus positional leadership. So it's it is nothing wrong with a title or a position. But if that's what you're basing your leadership on, uh, you, you know, you really can't build a lot of trust just on position and title. And John Maxwell, of course, has the five levels of leadership. He walks through this whole process um, in such a great way. But I, I think trust is the basis of relationships. And so, you know, one of the attributes to build trust is to become a better listener. And not just listening so that you can then manipulate the situation or whatever, but an empathic listener is somebody, and I, and I teach on empathic listening at some of my events, but this is where you, you really try to get into the other person's mind and their heart, really feel what they're feeling. You, you listen with your ears, your heart, and your eyes. And uh, you're really able to build trust because you, you're understanding your people, right? That's an attribute of a serving leader. They're an empathic listener. And then closely related to that is they're a learner. You know, any leader who's a learner is going to go far because they listen to their people. They take the best ideas. They're not protecting their turf. You know, they're not concerned about their reputation. They're concerned about the mission, right? When you're a learner and a listener, that really, uh, not only that, it also builds trust because people say, man, he really cares about my ideas. And then finally, and, and there's a lot of attributes we could talk about, but finally, I think I would just say that a serving leader understands the pyramid. And, you know, in traditional leadership models, you've got the leader from the top, and uh, that that person is, uh, you know, very top down, you know, very much in control. Well, the serving leader actually believes in that as well, but only in the first part of leadership. And that is where it, it goes to casting vision from the top. Uh, a serving leader says, you know what, I have a vision. This is where we're going. Um, you want to join me? Uh, great. Here's what we're going to do. Here's where we're going to go. But then what he does is he flips the pyramid and implements the vision from the bottom up. And that means you empower your people. So you lead with vision. The traditional pyramid stands from the top down. But then you flip the pyramid when you go to the implementation or execution stage of leadership. And that's where you serve your people. That's where you give them the resources they need, the training they need, the power they need, the authority they need to make decisions. You're leading from the bottom up when it comes to the implementation stage. So a couple of attributes there. There's a lot about a serving leader, but I think those are the three that I really want to touch on the most.
In, in some of your previous talks, uh, many of the leadership principles that you kind of discussed, I saw that you've derived them from Jesus' life, how he led, how he influenced, and how he was able to create such a, a global movement without a position or title. Um, so I'm curious, how, you know, what are some ways that we can do likewise and lead um, with a mindset of influence rather than authority? Yeah, you know, you know Jesus is the greatest leadership role model ever. At least that's how I would uh, rate Jesus. And, uh, you know, he had influence. You already mentioned that. Leadership is influence, pure and simple. In fact, John Maxwell has always said that. Leadership is influence. It's not about a title. It's not about a position. It's about whether or not you're influencing others. In fact, uh, he shared this. Uh, he said, this is my favorite proverb, and it doesn't come from the Bible. It's just one he made up. But he said, on influence, he said, that's he who thinketh he leadeth, but hath no followers is simply taking a walk. And so, you know, if you're not, if you don't have any leaders, you know, you're really not. Uh, uh, and, and by the way, Jesus didn't have a position and title, right? Um, but he certainly had followers. In fact, that's what ticked off the religious elite, the religious leaders, the guys with the PhDs and the titles and positions. They were so hacked off at Jesus because he had all the followers, right? He had authority, unlike the scribes and Pharisees, the uh, the holy text says. So, um, it's about influence, and Jesus invested in people. I, I think that's one of the biggest things. And, you know, he did have the crowds. He did feed the 5,000, but primarily he spent his time with the few. And so when I teach this material, I, I draw a bunch of concentric circles. And at the very, very center of those concentric circles is Jesus himself. Jesus had to lead himself before he led others. And that's why you read about the three temptations in Matthew 4 and Luke 4, where he went out into the, into the wilderness and and he overcame three big temptations. And that's what made him a leader worth following. And then, of course, he had the 12 disciples. But even out of the 12 disciples, he had three. We call that the inner circle. You know, Pete, Jim and John, they're the ones that went up Transfiguration Mountain. They're the ones that went into the inner room to see that girl raised from the dead. They're the ones that went into Gethsemane. So Jesus even had... Out of his 12, he had a, a smaller circle, and uh, which I find is fascinating because, you know, there was this really brilliant Italian guy, I guess, by the name of Pareto that came up with the Pareto rule called the 80-20 rule. You know, spent 80% of your time with 20% of your people. But, you know, Jesus came up with that way back in, the, in, in, in his time. I mean, you know, basically three out of 12, that's 75-25. It's pretty close to the 80-20. And he went deep with the few to impact the many. And you notice, you know, as those those concentric circles move outward, just like when you throw a stone in a pond of water, there's like that ripple effect. That was Jesus' life. He went deep with the few, and there were the 12. Then you've got the 70, the called out ones in Luke chapter 10. When you get to the upper room, you got 120. By the time of Pentecost, there's 3,000 people. And so you see this, this cascading or outward ripple effect of Jesus' leadership. Um, and how did he do it? By going deep with the few. And so I would just say, practically speaking for us today, how can we do likewise? You know, we add value to people. We, we become valuable by, by adding value to people. And so, you know, I, I, I like to say, do you notice the person in the Walmart checkout line, lane? You know, do you, do you look at her badge and say, hey, hi, Jenny, how you doing today? And do you add value to her? Do you make her day by just saying her name? And, and, and you know, really, it comes down to that. Am I, am I somebody who serves others? Am I 
more about adding value to people or adding value to myself by you know boosting my position or my title um i'll i'll just say this yet if, if you have to say to your people i'm your boss you're probably not the boss and so it really is about adding value and serving others that gives you authority. And I mean real authority and power. Um, titles and positions will only take you so far. And Jesus came into our world, had no position, no title. And look how he impacted the world. You know, um, I, I think it was Ortberg speaking at a big conference in Atlanta. And, and this is hilarious. But he said, you know, um, what, what do we name our kids after today, right? And, and he said, if you go back a couple thousand years, you know, nobody would have put their money on a on a on this Nazarene. You know, this guy from Nazareth walking on a desert trail with a few followers. Nobody would have bet their money on him. Everybody would have bet it on on the uh, the Neros and the uh, the uh, Caesar Augustus. You know, all the Caesars of that day, the powerful military and political leaders. They would have put all their money on that. But he said, today we name our kids. You know, Pete, Jim, John. Um, Jesus, if you're in the Hispanic culture, Jesus, uh, we, we, and, and then he said, we, we name our dogs Nero. <laughs> so, you know, it really wasn't the positional title or people that had the influence. It was somebody like Jesus who served his people and went deep with the few to impact the many. What helps you create sort of a motivating culture where employees can feel valued? You know, I already mentioned listening. I think that's probably one of the biggest ones. I, I was working with a company in Ohio one time. They had an idea box in their factory. Like anybody that was working in the factory, if they had an idea of how to make the the process of producing their widgets, you know, better, if there was some an idea they had to add to the plant, then they would uh, they would put it in the box. And then if the idea worked real well, they would get rewarded for it. So that was one cool thing. I, I was working with another company in Pennsylvania recently. I talked to them about, you know, do you have fun at work? And uh, so we kind of did some brainstorming and coaching around that. And uh, they brought out some cornhole, uh, you know, apparatuses, the game. I don't know if you've heard of cornhole or not, but they, they set that up and the guys are having like tournaments over lunch breaks and and just the the motivation and the fun, um, not only you know listening, but also producing or creating an environment where work can be fun. Uh, I would also say that another way to create a motivating culture where employees feel valued and heard is is uh, you know when you share your authority and power. I talked about flipping the pyramid earlier. When you share your authority power, when you give that away and people say, man, you're not a controlling leader. It's not about you. We don't have to run everything by you, but we feel empowered, uh, you know, to make decisions. I, I just read this book, just finished it last week. In fact, Martin, it's called Turn This Ship Around by David Marquette. He was a Navy uh, captain of a submarine. And one of the things that he taught his men, instead of them coming to him and asking for permission, they would say to him, "I, sir, I... I intend to turn the ship, you know, 43 degrees starboard, or I, I intend to do this, or I, he taught them to be decisive, to say things out loud, and then he could question them on whether or not that was a good decision. It was a simple little tweak in their language, I intend to, but it really put the power in them, on them and not on him, their captain. I thought that was a beautiful example of sharing authority and power. So a while back, I listened to a podcast by Patrick Lencioni. One of the things that he mentioned was on leadership. Most people don't really want to change the world, but they want to be known as the person who changed the world. 
what are your thoughts around that? Because I think it we can easily fall into this habit of, you know, the 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 pride that comes with it, right? How do we break out of it? Yeah, that, and Lencioni is just fantastic. I love his book, uh, The Five Functions <laughs> of a Team. Um, he just he's just got great stuff, doesn't he? Right. You know, this this quote reminds me the sto- of a story of a little boy who went with his mother to hear a famous missionary speak. And seeing all the attention that the missionary was getting, the boy whispered to his mother, when I grow up, I want to be a return missionary. You know, he just <laughs> loved all the accolades that the, the missionary was getting. You know, I, I think I, I think most people honestly are not ready to do what it takes to change the world. You know, it takes hard work. It, you know, people who just want the accolades, they, they, they want to be known as the person who changed the world. You know, they don't realize that it takes time and it takes hard work. It takes per, what, what I'm calling persistent consistency. Persistent consistency. In other words, consistently showing up with quality work over time. You know, it, it, it might take a long time until you begin to change the world, but all those little seeds that you planted. And so maybe the best way to explain this is with a metaphor, um, a, a, a bamboo. You know, bamboo can shoot up to 80 feet in one year, especially if you get a certain species out of China. And uh, uh, so let's just say you bring the, you've heard about this, you bring it home, you're all excited, you plant the thing and you put your, pull your, your uh, lawn chair up to watch this thing grow because it's going to grow 80 feet in a year they tell you and nothing happens one year goes by and the thing just remains a little stump and you're like man i must have bought a dud right well the second year goes by and you maybe water it and again nothing seems to happen the third year you say man i should have fertilized it more so you dump fertile still nothing happens and maybe by the fourth year you're just going i think i better dig this thing up and throw it away but you say i'll give it one more chance and i'm going to just speak to the plant and encourage it to grow but again nothing happens but in the fifth year martin what happens to that little shoot it shoots to 80 feet in the air and what was it doing for the first four or five years it was putting its roots down deep and i think you know when you look at jesus the first 30 years of his life we know very little about it you know at age 12 it says he grew in favor with god and man and that's really the the uh the testimonial about jesus for the next 18 silent years he he was growing in favor with god and man just like that bamboo we got to put our roots down deep we got to show up consistently overcoming things in our lives building our roots of integrity and character working hard and uh you know it's like the iceberg you only see a little bit on the top and the outside the bulk of the thing is down underneath the surface everybody wants you know a successful persona they want to have this public image but your public image your public success is going to be based on how deep your roots go it's going to be based on what's underneath the surface just like the iceberg and, and the bamboo so i i you know i think that uh, lencioni is definitely onto something here and uh you know, we need to put our roots down deep. We need to show up with persistent consistency. And, uh, you know, if it means that we're stuck on the backside of Timbuktu for the rest of our lives, let's serve our best there. Let's add value to people there, even if it's in seclusion. You know, ultimately, at the end of the day, God is my audience of one. And uh, if, if I please him, that's all that really matters. How should serving leaders respond to crises and establish or reestablish trust? Yeah, I think the best thing I can do on answering this one is point you to a resource. It's on my first page of my website, LukeKipford.com, which is L-U-K-E, 
K-U-E-P-F-P-F is Paul Frank, P-F-E-R.com. That's LukeKipfer.com. And right up in the top right-hand corner, there's a free download uh, button you can click, and it's it's how do we, we respond to crises? How do we lead through crises? And, and on that brief sheet, I basically named three things, compassion, clarity, and creativity. You know, we have to be empathetic and relatable during this time. We've got to share feelings, but also impart hope to people. Um, if, if necessary, I think we need to cut our salary and model sacrificial giving in, in our time, our energy, and our resources. I think that's the way we need to lead with compassion as leaders. We need to take cuts. Uh, I think we need to address urgent needs while also maintaining a focus on our people and the ultimate mission. When it comes to clarity, I think we need to be clear about our vision and we need to outline flexible plans to navigate through crises. We need to be, you know, back to the pyramid. We need to be sh sharing from the top with clarity. We we don't have certainty, but we can be, have clarity. And I think sometimes when we speak with certainty, we actually break down trust. So we, we should share what we don't know. We should share problems that we're anticipating. Let people know that we don't have all the answers, but then also share reasons for hope. Those are some things we can be clear on. And then I would just say again on certainty, speak courageously about the future, but avoid certainty on outcomes. Here's what we know. Here's where we're going. Here, here's what I'm clear on. Not certain about it but this is what I do know. And so compassion, clarity, and the last one is creativity. I think, you know, with great crises come great opportunities, right? So, you know, this is a time of being creative. Get your team together, brainstorm with them about opportunities to launch new products and services. I know this last year, I'm a, I'm a guy that's on a stage most of the time. Well, this year I had to change and I had to invite people to my stage, which turned out to be the Rocky Mountains of Colorado. And uh, I brought people out there and taught leadership while we were hiking up uh, 14,000 foot mountains. It was fantastic. Um, I, had to, I had to come up with some creative new ideas and, and it went so well that I'm planning to scale that up um, like 400% next year. Uh, another point on creativity is we can restructure our systems, you know, with, with safety as a big goal, right? And so looking out for the well-being of our people is really primary during a during a pandemic where people are fearful of getting sick and then finally i would just say on the creativity part to prioritize your people by offering them new opportunities for personal development this is a time to develop our people to to build them up when there's so much fear and so much division so if you're interested in that that uh, downloadable uh, uh it's like a brief sheet with with these points and a few more just go to LukeKipfer.com and uh, click on the box in the top right-hand corner. Uh, well, Luke, I really appreciate your thoughts. Are there anything else, uh, final thoughts that you'd like to share before we conclude? You know, I'll close with uh, some words from Tony Campolo. And, and uh, this is from one of his books, probably written 30, 40 years ago, called Who Switched the Price Tags? And he, he tells a story of a black Baptist preacher who's talking to a group of college kids, probably probably people your age, Martin. And he says, children, you're going to die one of these days. They're going to take you out, put you six feet under, throw some dirt on your face, and then go back to the church and eat potato salad. And uh, he said, the Baptist preacher, he said, when you were born, everybody was a laughing and you were a crying. But he said, now that you're dead and gone, will everybody be a crying and you be a laughing? And he said, that depends on whether you lived for titles and trophies or for testimonies. You know, at the end of the day, 
you know, leaders can lead many different ways. If they're if they're leading for titles, for trophies, to make a name for themselves, their their memory will last. You know, who knows for how long? We've got we've got uh, some really bad leaders that we still talk about to these days. But the leaders who make the longest lasting impact, the ones who really matter, who start things that change the world, I believe, are the ones who live for testimonies, the, one who's, the ones who serve their people, the ones who are not in it for themselves, like Jesus. You know, when he left, look at what he started. It says that the disciples went out and turned the world upside down. In fact, he even told them, he said, greater works you will do when I go back to the Father. You know, Jesus was all about setting them up for success. And I believe that's the greatest thing of serving leadership. It's not about us. Even Jesus said, it's about my Father in heaven. It's about doing my Father's will. It's not my will, but his will be done. That's a true serving leader, somebody who serves a higher purpose, someone who leads at a higher level. They're not leading for themselves. They're leading for others. Jesus on serving leadership, I think he's the best role model ever on that. I've dedicated my life to following in his footsteps as a serving leader who leads, loves, and serves like Jesus. Absolutely. Well, Luke, thank you again so much. I really appreciate your thoughts and they really help form just a different sort of view on how we can approach this and, and, and view leadership with this sense of, uh, of humility. So, so thank you very much for that. And I hope uh, all the best for you. Uh, viewers, if you have any questions, please uh, contact us via LinkedIn. But with that, thank you everyone so much for listening and have a great day.